Welcome to Bite Size Dental Marketing. Today I have Dr. Niku Manshadi. Dr. Manshadi is a board certified pediatric dentist. He got his dental degree from the University of the Pacific Arthur A. Dugoni School of Dentistry and then did a two-year pediatric residency at Boston University. Dr. Manshadi, welcome to the show, man. Andre and I talk about you and the crew, uh, the original <laughs> orthodent crew. Like we, we, we certainly miss working for you and it's an honor to market y'all's practice. And, uh, you know, we used to talk so regularly. It's been a minute that we've chatted, but I would love to hear your origin story of from, you know, finishing your, your residency at Boston to today. Sure. Sure. Well, thank you for having me on. This is an honor. Uh, like you said, we had a blast working with you guys. Um, just before I get into myself, you know, I want to say we tried several marketing companies before we worked with you guys. And, you know, what set you guys apart was just everything was just so relaxed, easygoing, fun, um, positive energy. So, yeah, you and Andre were great, man, and your whole team. So kudos to you guys. Congrats on the podcast. I finished in 2009, like you said, um, came out of school at a time where the economy was kind of rough. I'm from California originally, so the plan was always to go back to Cali. And at the time, the job offers just weren't very good. So, uh, you know, I started looking around other areas. You know, you come out of school with over 300 grand in debt. You're looking to pay some of that off. I ended up in Texas to start out in Austin, Texas. At that time, dentistry was really booming there, especially pediatric dentistry, which is my specialty. And so started off at a couple offices associating in Austin and San Antonio. Uh, worked about a year, year and a half. I, again, the, the plan was always to work for a couple of years, pay back some loans and mm -hmm. go back to Cali. Mm -hmm. Fast forward 10 years later, you know, I ended up partnering with my first employer, Dr. Raymond. We ended up opening a practice. Um, and what led to that really was there were a lot of underserved areas in Texas. And we noticed that there was a genuine void in quality care, quality, you know, high quality practices in these areas. There were a lot of these Medicaid mills, they were just busy by default. They weren't really focused on customer service and taking good care of the patients. I'm sure there was exceptions, but there were a few that we noticed that were just not, you know, up to the standard of care. And so we thought, you know, why are we not focusing on these areas and building really beautiful practices, clean practices um, that do these patients a service? And so we started our first office in College Station area, Bryan, Texas. It was busy immediately and, and we didn't do anything crazy. We just made sure they were clean, treated people well. We had, you know, TVs above the, of the chair, above the chairs, which at the time was not common. And, uh, just from there, slowly building that culture of really beautiful, really high quality customer service oriented practices in these kind of secondary markets, one to two hours from the major cities like Houston, Austin, San Antonio, Dallas. 10 years later, you know, we, we grew, we added orthodontics to the mix, added a partner in orthodontist, Dr. Dustin Roden Johnson. And then we also partnered with another group after that, even, um, you can call it a big bag DSO, but we, we thought ourselves as very, being very different. You know, I can take pride in the fact that we've always kept the customer first. You know, it's always been one of those things that if we keep our eyes on that, everything else would follow and the success would, would follow us and very fortunate. We've had great associates, uh, great partners overall. So. Uh, it's been a good ride. I can't complain. And then I was just talking to you about this a few minutes ago, you know, about it five years ago, I decided to move to New York, just a personal lifestyle decision, definitely not a financial decision, uh, <laughs> probably took a, you know, a huge hit in my income by doing that. Um, not, maybe not a lot of listeners know, but dentistry in New York is a lot different than Texas. Uh, it's definitely a lot, not as green of a pathway, I would say, but it's been great. I, I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, met my wife here. 
And it's just an awesome being in a cool, fun city, a lot of international culture. Yeah, thinking about what I'm going to do next year. Maybe, maybe do a dental practice in New York. We'll see. Now, when you look back at your time of starting the practices, and uh, you know, I, I, you started some, and they were beautiful practices. And I, the concept today feels easy of just because you accept Medicaid doesn't mean you should exercise quality care. But at the time that you started the offices, that was very much there was there was nice offices and there was Medicaid offices, and, and you guys found that niche. You know, at, at some point of a transition, you were like eleven or twelve open offices or some, something fairly yes. substantial. Yeah. How did you attract and retain the associates so well? Yeah, that, that was definitely our biggest challenge and it continues to be a challenge. I think recruiting is always, you ask big groups, what are, what are your biggest headaches? What keeps you up at night? I would say it's recruiting and not just doctors, staffing, especially the last few years with the yeah. great resignation and all the things we went through with COVID. But what we really focus on is, you know, with dentistry, burnout is a, is a big thing. You know, people yeah. burn out. They come out of school, they're like, oh, I'm going to make all this money. I want to do all this, you know, dentistry. And they don't remember to take care of themselves and focus on preserving their, you know, or extending their careers. So we do everything we can to set up really good systems in our practices. Um, that means training staff really well. We have good hygienists. We have good assistants to hopefully take a lot of that burden, not just the administrative burden, but the clinical burden as much as possible off of the doctor so that they actually don't get burned out so quickly because you know that's the biggest thing even as an, i was an associate myself i've kind of worked at every level as an associate what i realized when i worked in a practice that wasn't set up well didn't have the good systems if i didn't feel that support i didn't last there very long i was like oh this is not good for me i, I started rethinking my career even i was like do i even want to do pediatric dentistry do i even want to do dentistry and so if you're in an office that takes that load off suddenly you're like man life is great i love this job i love you know i can focus on what I, what I really enjoy interacting with the patients, doing the dentistry well, you know, you cut out all that other noise that can lead to that daily grind and daily burnout. You know, word of mouth, really. I think our associates were happy. They were making good money and, you know, we treated them well with respect, gave them a lot of autonomy. And I think they would tell their classmates and their uh, colleagues and, you know, that reputation sort of follows you after a while. When you were talking about that, you said the word culture, mm -hmm. I can still remember every office manager's name from the original offices we worked with. And I remember Andre and I locked eyes one time and distinctly had a conversation around, this is one of the first groups we've worked with that we know the office managers, we know the front desk and the office manager would come into the marketing calls with their own ideas and push their own agendas. And I, I hope that you've received the credit due of creating such a wonderful culture of where the employees really did care about those practices. And I think that from the outside looking in as someone who was serving you guys and, and putting you forward, like, I can't tell you how much enjoyment that was to, to partner with you guys on marketing because of that. And, and you could see from every level <laughs> of the staff, it seemed like they really cared. I and, appreciate that. And that, that, means yeah, the, and I mean, awesome. that means the world to us to hear that because um, that's really what we're going for. You know, we, to me, it's like, what's the point of having all this administrative help and all these, you know, levels of management if they don't take some of that load off of you, right? Mm -hmm. you, you know, I have some ideas, but I'm only as good as my best team members. And, and I look at it as a team. I'm not trying to like di be a dictator. So uh, my partners are the same way. My partners and I, we, tr we trust our staff. We trust our team. We empower them. You know, they truly make us what we are and we couldn't have done anything without them. So they, they every day they 
you know, we try to listen, they bring the, their ideas, we put our, we all put our ideas on the table, and then we consult. And I think there's a lot of humility in that, because mm -hmm. no one feels like it's their way or the highway, right? It's more of a collaborative effort. And as a result, everybody just kind of grows together. And, and as a result, you know, we've seen assistants become managers, we've seen managers become regional managers. There's a, it, I think it opens up a pathway for personal growth for our staff too, which is really great. Yeah, it makes it to where I, I have an opportunity to move up and there's so much power in that. I would imagine there was some personal evolution from individual contributor, dentist to CEO and, and leader of people, right? One of the things that I hear a lot about is how dentists become myopic or sort of siloed over time. Did you ever have moments of aloneness in that journey? And where do you sort of the pointed moments of, of that? You know, I, I don't know. My path was a little bit different. Maybe I, I feel like I've always worked with other docs. I've never, you know, I didn't, I never went into solo practice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I never went into my own practice and kind of was cordoned off for many, many years by myself. So in a way, I'm not sure what that feels like. I can imagine that can be very isolating, but I've always, you know, worked with others, collaborated with others. As the associates that we hire, I learn things from there every day, even though I'm training a lot of them, if they're coming out of the school, there are things that they pick up. I mean, it's been 15 years since I finished school. You know, there's things they pick up, especially with pediatric dentistry, different personality types, the way they treat children. I would suggest anyone who's in that silo to try to step out of it as much as possible and learn from others because so many different ways to do things, right? Mm -hmm. It's actually exciting because you can pick and choose what works for you from these different ideas and different people. So yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I can't really think of a time when I was super alone. I've been very fortunate Man, to have I, that's a lot of help and partners. Fortunate. Yeah. 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 It's a very unusual. Because usually, you know, even my partners, they went into private practice first, uh, with the exception of Tarek. Tarek was kind of an MBA type guy, but he was a dentist in Egypt and then he came here. But yeah, they, they had their own practices and joined a partnership, whereas me, I went straight into from associateship to partnership. When you look back at the last 15 years, what are the most memorable timeframes for you? I think probably one of the most memorable times was cutting the ribbon on our first office. That was an amazing experience because you know, you go through all this planning phase and design and logos and, you know, the process of opening a new practice, but then the day you're like there with the local business bureau, like cutting the ribbon. First day we had a full schedule of patients. That's how the need was there. We had some parents that were almost like in tears, basically. <laughs> I couldn't even believe it. They were so happy that there was this clean, nice office to go to, that they were begging us to see adults too, which we later on finally added adults at that office too, even though we didn't know what we were doing really at first. Every every story I'd heard about starting a startup was a nightmare. Like first year is just this grind of trying to make it and attract patients. Uh, now, not all of our practices were like that. We've had practices that have gone through many, many dark tunnels. We just got very oh, I, lucky I remember. with that first one. Yeah, you, yeah know, I you, you, know, you know very well, yeah. But that first practice was just a home run. And so it was this like cathartic feeling of, wow, like this is, this is possible. What we did actually came to fruition. You said something earlier in the show that I find personally challenging in dental. I have tried to ask the question and I've tried to, I've heard various responses, but I have a theory somewhere. And, and I think you hit on it. Like you said, you know, I want to open a practice in New York. I want this, like most of the people who open practices today are opening them in higher socioeconomic areas that they probably want to live in that they, they don't want a long commute. And, so what we tend to get, and, and we see it from a biz dev standpoint from our business is 
for every Brian or Colleen or Copper's Cove or secondary sort of market I get from a, a dentist wanting help, I get 12 from BK or Friskay or someplace like that. And because the problem is they're just so competitive. And right. so when those offices open, it's, it's not, they have 12 other choices that they have in, you know, whatever, whatever market it is. And I think the smartest thing you guys did as far as location was those second, those, I hate to call them second tier, but those secondary markets of, yeah. that were underserved. And yeah, it, it, it sucked for, for a while, but at some point it allowed the practices to grow beyond what they would have in a major market. It's always that give and take of like, okay, you can be in that secondary market and get a lot more patients more quickly and grow more quickly potentially, but also getting good doctors, good staff. It's harder to attract people to those locations. Victoria, um, Texas is not the Mecca. Of yeah, dental. yeah. The, I mean, it's recruiting is such a challenge and really what you find is, and this is what I found and, and I go back and forth. I've, you and my partners and I, we are some of our most heated arguments are when we're talking about the next location you want to do, I'm like mm -hmm. begging them. Let's not do another one in the middle of nowhere because it's <laughs> it's literally I can't sleep sometimes trying to find a doctor. But but when we do, it really pays off. And we've again, like I said, we've been so fortunate to find great great doctors. Occasionally, I will say you tend to attract docs that are kind of just focused on income. And so you know there are going to be docs like that out there. And so that's not always a great culture fit. It just depends when you find both someone that okay that's fine. They want to make a lot of money, but they also really care about what they're doing. Then you're you're set. It's great. But yeah, it's always that that tug of war between, okay, do I want plenty of patients or easy access to staffing and HR? Staffing is a huge issue today. Right. It's, uh, you know, there's people that say there's been a fundamental shift in the, the work culture of the, of our country. What are you seeing as the other trends in pediatric dentistry today that maybe didn't exist two or three years ago? I think we've been somewhat fortunate in pediatric dentistry in that it's mostly stayed the same, I would say, as far as like the, the way we approach it. It, is, it. We do have some new tools in our tool belt now as far as more minimally invasive care, if we're talking about clinical. When it comes to administrative or, or staffing, I found that a lot of practices are going away from using hygienists uh, just because that's that's one of these changes that we've seen with staffing issues and higher costs, the doctors are focusing more on doing the cleanings themselves or they have assistance. If you're in a state where they allow profi assistance to do the profis, um, they're using a lot of auxiliaries to do the cleanings. That helps keep the cost down. Other than that, I would say, uh, you know, one of the biggest trends we're seeing is, you know, te technology, I would say. And this is not just pediatric dentistry. You know, this is dentistry in general. We have all these new software programs like Next Health, weave things like that that help us you know we can text patients send them forms um to sign on their phones right before they come in you know really just optimizing the patient experience i would say and so that they come in and it's very seamless the texting thing is huge i think people are on their phone so much these days that they don't want to talk to anybody they just want to get on their phone make their appointment text real quick done no one wants to talk to anybody in my opinion the new patient experience is the next bastion of disruption in the dental and, and specifically online scheduling. Yeah. Every dentist thinks that their scheduling is a unique masterwork of class, you know, but it's, everyone is saying the same things and, and how they want it scheduled. And I think with the rise of AI, with consumer expectations increasing on, on scheduling, 
I do think we are going to see these programmatic online scheduling tools get more advanced because today, the, and I, I understand the problem is if a consumer is coming to a site, they do not know what they need. If my tooth hurts or if I'm having a problem, I, I you know, haven't diagnosed, but I, I think there are ways around right. that, that we need to be open to. And I think that that seamless experience and making sure it's consistent from the brand to the site to when they get welcomed to the site, I think that's the next real big shift in, in the dental space. Yeah. Now, one thing, sorry, one thing I would, I'd add to that too is, you know, as far as specifically for pediatric dentistry, I've noticed over the last 15 years, that's been kind of long enough now where I'm starting to see a shift in parenting styles as well. Mm. When we first started, even when I was in school, it was a lot more appropriate for a dentist to say, for, to ask a parent to just wait in the waiting room, they would take kids back alone to the, to the operate, you know, to the operatories and they, the whole paradigm, um, shift has been. Well, in school, they would teach you like a lot of these school uh, children will do actually better without the parent in the room. And now, you know, with the way parenting is these days, you know, there's no way parents, most parents won't allow you to do anything without them being present, which I think is a good thing. I've always actually always practiced that way anyways. Yeah. I prefer them to be there. I prefer to use them as a, as a teammate. But um, that's one thing I've noticed that that's pretty much, pretty much over unless you're in the middle of nowhere. There's a statistic that we published. We looked at all the reviews that came in to practices and yeah. it's north of 80% were non-clinical billing and, and oh, that makes someone sense. had a bad day. Right. I mean, right. But in the pediatric offices of the offices that didn't allow a parent back, that was one of the chief complaints. After There's just so many unknowns. I feel mm -hmm. like you're just setting yourself up for scary situation. So I, I love what you said, make them part of the team there to, to, yeah. to take care of care and, you know, manage exceptions. Don't make rules for them. If a parent's being right. a problem, uh, you know, handle that. Don't, don't allow exactly. the parents back. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Now we've seen a trend over the last, I'll say year where most of our pediatric offices are wanting us to market airways and okay. yeah. pathway breathing. Yeah. Now, yeah. how has that technology changed? And talk to me a little bit about that. And and yeah, definitely, airway is a huge thing. You know, they they're finding now, uh, airway plays a huge role in not only your oral health but your overall well being. So you know, there's a lot of new CE courses. I mean, I get like two or three a week emails for CE courses to train dentists on how to identify airway issues. Mm -hmm. You know, it's associated with. Um, better sleep obviously you know we already know about you know sleep apnea a lot of kids are having sleeping issues at a young age and it's undiagnosed for many years um so we're we're working on you know being able to identify these issues referring to the right physicians the right ents it's constantly changing there's a lot of different schools of thought in this and there's a lot of different appliances so i'm not going to like get into that right now but mm -hmm. it's i think it's been a great benefit to parents because they're suddenly finding out things about their children Especially because, it's, you know, one thing I'll add to that is a lot of times children will see their dentists more frequently than their physicians. Mm -hmm. And so we're really in a unique position to identify these early health issues, potential health issues. Now, when you look back over the last 15 years, is there a memorable case that sticks in your mind? That's a tough one. Let's see. Overall, like there have been so many positive, good experiences, so many thankful parents, so many funny kids, kids that just crack, crack me up with their jokes, you know, uh, unexpectedly. 
uh, especially young ones that are like, wow, this person, this kid has a sense of humor at the age of four or three. Mm-hmm. It's tough to name one, man. Honestly, I hate to say that and sound cliche, no, but it's no, really that's tough all to name right. One. That's all right. That's yeah. that's a tough. One. To, I'm sure something would come to me if I thought about it. But yeah, there's a lot of kids that that are just super stoked to be at the dentist. You hear a lot of people say like, oh, I hate working on kids. It's um, I would never do that. All these screaming children. Ninety-nine percent of the kids that we treat are fun, excited to be there. They want to behave. They want to do well. You know, it's just a great experience. I think overall. Now, yeah. what's next for you? You're you're in New York. You know, yeah. You, I'm still clinical next. director of the group in Texas uh, for the pediatric uh, clinical director. I've been exploring possibly starting a practice here. Um, still in the very you know early exploratory phase. It's a t- uh, as we were discussing earlier, it's a completely different game out here. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'm excited. It's to kind of lit a fire under me to do something new, um, a new challenge. And so, yeah, maybe we'll talk in a year again, and I can go over that experience of maybe starting a practice in a different state. Oh, I'd but, love to. Um, I... Yeah, yeah. After yeah. after I do a case study of how awesome we marketed it, I'd yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I might need your help. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, probably need a lot no, of help. No, of course, out here. of course. Well, Dr. Manshadi, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you've had a stellar career, and you know, thank you so much, and and I appreciate everything you're doing, and. I look forward to working together again. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.